Hi folks, welcome to episode 6 of Women, Work, and Wisdom. My name is Diane Lyon, I'm your host. I started the podcast to learn some amazing wisdom from women in all forms of careers and journeys through the corporate world and as entrepreneurs. And thank you so much for joining us. You can find us on our website at womenworkwisdom.com, which is W-O-M-E-N, workwisdom.com. And then you can also find us on iTunes and Google Play. I thank all of those of you that have been listening and sending me comments and on to episode six. Thank you. Hi folks, today's special guest is Beth Stevens, CEO and founder of Brainpower Studios. Beth actually talks about how her mom was her role model in an era when women didn't work and really gave up their careers and aspirations to take care of their families how she started as a technical cameraman and suffered through crushing rampant sexism with old crusty cameramen asking her every day why she's even there, how she then moved into production, strove for a seat at the boardroom table, and when finally got there, wondered if she even needed the table and started her journey as an entrepreneur. We also talk about some of the key insights that Beth learned throughout her journey, like self-confidence and assurity, Um, how she does risk assessments, and being an individual has been a key factor in helping her career and her entrepreneurial spirit. So she also talks a little bit about how hard it is to build a business from scratch and give some insights into how she's gone about it. And lastly, we are in Beth's kitchen and there are people coming and going throughout the day. So those interruptions, I thought, kind of were very apropos for a very busy life as she uses much of um, her home as an office as well. Okay, so without further ado, Beth Stevens. So we kind of talked about why I wanted to change the narrative from what we really hear in the media right now is all about the victimization of women and not a lot of inspiration. Right. And to change that narrative from a from being victims to all these amazing stories of women that right. have been very successful in their own right. So one of the common narratives, which I'm I found interesting, but I actually loved what Sarah Plant had said about it, is you know the feeling that at some point they're all we're all pushed out once we reach a certain level within the organization. Yeah. And she said for sure, because obviously as you get to the tip of the pyramid, there's less and less of right. us as people, but also the world gets a lot more cutthroat. Yes. <laughs> well also too, I think it's just I mean, if you think about Silicon Valley and how they run as well too, it's I think women tend to be innovators too, and we have to think outside the box in many areas of our lives. And that whole idea of like tree shooting roots to grow new trees, which is kind of very indicative of um, industries, you know, like tech industries, where ultimately people can get, not just women, but men can also get disenfranchised at the top. Because, yeah, it gets very alpha and it gets very into a place like who, you know, who those top echelon are. And, you know, whether by by nature our very gender doesn't push us to be that, you know, I think it's it's probably why there are so many female entrepreneurs because you get, you get disillusioned, disenfranchised, you get sometimes devalued at that level. And it is easier in a weird way for us to leave than for us to stay 
and sometimes you run the binary and you kind of end up with this result of saying so you know what are the reasons to stay you know it's kind of like you spend your youth going why would I ever get married and then you flip over to why would I not get married you kind of spend your career within a corporate structure saying well why can't I have a seat at the table and then at the end you go well why would I actually want a seat at the table then in fact to, to be able to control your own sort of um, corporate culture that is very inclusive and inclusive of you it makes more sense than just keep you know bonking your head at the boardroom door saying you know let me in and then when you get in there you go oh this is this is what I've been fighting for so <laughs> that's what I kind of have found a lot even just going back to the very you know my transition from just being a person who is in production and making film and television and being a part of that production team to crossing over into the corporate world mostly because I was fascinated about why are we all here and how did we get here and who put it all together and the answer is is it's you know it's in the boardrooms of the bigger film and entertainment business you know businesses that most production is actually formulated I mean obviously there's mom and pop shops but if you sort of look at the bigger ones like entertainment one and um you know and and certainly the bigger studio system in la that's where most you know kind of film and television product is actually content is being decided upon and made then the weird thing is as you go over and you know i was very uh sort of naive in my younger youth I was like oh these people at the top must be incredibly smart and you know making all these smart decisions and I was a very junior person and there was a uh, uh, they we were making a bid in one of my older companies and that was you know the biggest film company in Canada at the time and they were making a bid for a, a, a bunch of broadcast assets and it was for 625 million dollars and I was like what? That's amazing. 625 million. Like that must be so clever. And they must have like come up with. And so I sort of read it and I was like, oh, this, this, this offering and package is no different than some of the, you know, sort of 500,000 to a million dollar projects that I was sort of a part of putting it together. And, you know, it was just the number that was different. And then the sort of the closer I got to the boardroom and to those decision makers, I found that a lot of the decisions were being made for vanity reasons or I don't like this person. So, I mean, there was a lot of schoolyard politics at play at the upper echelon that I was so unaware of. And I thought it was just must be so logical and so intelligent, but you know, <laughs> and I see it now in the trades all the time when I see, you know, the, all the big media consolidation and just, you know, watching the push and pull of like people getting pushed out of their board seats. There was actually a huge upset just recently at Entertainment One about, a, you know, one of the guys who was a CEO of their content side of things. And then they bought, brought in a big LA guy. And then all of a sudden it was announced that that LA guy's taking over and this guy who had actually helped to build the thing was out. So it's just, it's just a corporate life is sometimes it's not just, you know not conducive to women sometimes it's just not conducive to humans because it's you know it can be very cutthroat it's cutthroat and tribal 
tribal exactly exactly we should just yes exactly so if you can start from the beginning like how did you get your start in the industry and and how did it get you to where you are today well I think that I always attribute my entry into the industry um, to my mother because you know here was someone who was Toronto-based and super single child and super university educated and, you know, uh, married my father who was a school teacher. They moved to Ottawa and then they decided to move outside to a very small rural town. And she spent many years of her life as a homemaker. And, and I was just really influenced by her that even though she was in a small town, like, you know, when we were in the figure skating club she became the president of it so that you know so so when I was uh, 12 years old which is the same age that my children are now I my mother took a, a course in radio and television arts and I remember her saying under her breath one day well if I didn't have four children I would have gone into this medium and it wasn't a really negative way it was just and it wasn't a, resi- a, a resigned way it's just you know, I look at sort of my my mother's and her friend's life and it just it was just a different time. You know, you could make different decisions and I wanna think my mom was at the time I felt my mom wasn't very fulfilled and now I look back and I see that, you know, she wrote for the newspaper, she was a technically a published author, like she did a whole bunch of things. So that just t- took me into the industry. And it's not that I had a burning desire to tell stories or anything like that. I just, I felt, if my mom felt it would have been right for her, then maybe it was going to be right for me. And that sort of took me into college. I was very focused. Um, It was a strange time in our family because our family is very academic run. And I decided to go to college. And that was something that, you know, that sort of craft, choosing a craft versus academic excellence was... You know, it wasn't, I had a fight on my hands. Um, and But I believed that I could go, you know, get in and out of schooling. And then during the schooling process, they said, oh, you know, you should really go out into the outskirts of the industry and start there and work your way in. And I kind of, I've always been a bit of a, well, rule, rule breaker, but also wild child. Like, I just think, it's not that if somebody tells me to do something, I do the opposite. I just sort of really felt that I, you know, it made more sense to go where to Toronto, which was the biggest place in the industry. And I was always, and then from there, I just, I started off first on the technical side of things and I worked really hard and I was very determined. And when I say technical, I mean pulling the cables and, you know, really wanting to get in there and figure out the technical side of things. Maybe I thought that was just sort of cool and a good thing for a, a, you know, a girl to go and do. I, I felt that I was, you know, in the end, I felt the means to the end wasn't worth all of the sexism that I encountered, which was incredible. Like every day, really with my heart in my hands and tears in my eyes going home after, you know, kind of old crusty cameramen at Global News, you know, making horrible comments all day about why was I even there? What did I think I was doing there trying to do that? And, and again, I was, you know, very determined. However, ultimately, I felt, look, I would fight this fight and what would I be, a cameraman at Global? 
I would just be as kind of bitter as they were. So, um, so that's when I kind of switched over and really focused on production, which was allowed me to kind of take the creativity that I've known and then really understand, you know, how uh, media product is made, how filmmaking happens, and then I've always been very good through the growth of that. I stayed predominantly Toronto, but started to work in global companies. So I was very early on able to go to global conferences and, you know, walk into uh, to Cannes in the south of France to these conferences where it just blows your mind because every film and television product that gets made in the world gets shown and showcased at the, these conferences so that markets where people can buy. Um, so I kind of was able to come from a very small town into the big city to then parlaying that into kind of this sort of global um, marketplace fairly quickly, like within almost sort of six or seven years of entering the industry. And I didn't really have significant mentorship at the beginning. I just sort of used a lot of my own you know, you can choose many paths in many sectors, like in our sector. It's a very, I always describe the media sector as being very democratic because it's not based on a degree or, um, you know, a, a residency or any kind of a significant internship. Like you can literally go from the receptionist to the CEO of a company in our media industry. Um, you know, it's the old kind of Hollywood work in the mail room from your way up because as much as you can go to school for film, television, even now interactive media, it's just not everything can be taught there. You do, it's a lot of workplace on the job learning. Um, so yeah, so that's sort of what, and then it was just, then there, then happen, chance happens. So, you know, it's, I was trying to get on a very big, documentary that I would have been on for four years and that I think back on that now and that would have changed my entire career but I didn't get on that but then I got a call two weeks later to come and work with Jim Henson um, the Jim Henson company was doing a primetime Muppet show in Toronto so I got the really amazing opportunity to work with him for almost a year um, before he died and then you know um, the entertainment business, you tend to, like, you hook up with, you know, sort of a certain crowd of people and then they move on to the next show and you just get to follow. So that I started to work on a primetime series called Kids in the Hall um, and, you know, did a lot of stuff there. And then and then that ended up in the corporate world because I was like, how does this how does this get all financed and put together and, and sort of went down that journey. So, And then did you imagine you would be where you are today? Um... I did not, but I did, I was able to kind of, and I say this to many people that I mentor now, is that I was able to sort of look at who I wanted to become. And there was a time, there was somebody who, when I was hired at this big company, we were able to kind of, I was able to look over and see this person that was in a corner office and, do you want me to wait for them to? Yeah. So at this juncture, there's actually a couple of people coming and going. There's some new uh, actors coming in to meet Beth who are joining a production that she's just starting. So throughout the interview process, this kind of happens. I know it's fun and kind of interesting in her busy, busy life. So I thought I would just leave these sections in. Thanks.
corporate structure where it was like no can do without say so move down the hall here how much office space do I have how big is my chair to kind of going how do we feed people how do we grow this thing like that just I think my spirit really became alive when I when I did that and then we went down that journey which was a kind of a you know 11 year journey to an IPO where we went from the four people to the eight people to the 10 people to the 40 people um and to eventually to that led to a successful roll up and an IPO um I just think the strange thing was that was such a good experience to then rewind back um once we had gone public then now I was back just being an executive in a public company again and I had sort of turned the day we closed I turned to my business partners and I said guys this has been nice uh number one I'm about 10 years younger than you guys and I'm kind of happy to do it all over again and I just you know I'll stay for a while and be you know have a corporate job I certainly know how to do it I like that but it's just it I felt like I, I was missing like a whole half of my brain that had come alive to be entrepreneurial so so I don't think that I you know kind of at the very early stages of my career knew that I was going to become an entrepreneur. I mean, it really wasn't something, Shark Tank didn't exist. We didn't really know what that that sort of meant. Um, the way that sort of younger women now can, you know, decide do they want to have a self-starting career or, you know, or self-funded career or do they want to work in bigger organizations? and. And there's a lot more opportunity. We were really still of a generation where, you know, there was many of my my friends and peers that actually were working for the same companies that they then worked for the rest of their career. There wasn't that sort of turnover change, turnover change kind of thing. Um, but the surprise to end up being an entrepreneur has really, um, you know, has been a great surprise and I'm very happy. <laughs> What were the riskiest or boldest career moves that you've made? I don't I think I actually had the amazing fortune in a way to have uh, male business partners and and the the reason I say that is because I think that they really helped shape my logic and how I thought about the actual numbers of business. Um, so the good thing is, is I actually feel that every, you know, so-called risk for someone else is I've already ran the binary of it. Generally, it's very calculated. And so, you know, I don't, I, I probably would safely say that I, it, it's not risk taking that has made me successful. It's confidence and assurity that has made me successful that, you know, Although some people may say, hey, you're going into production on a film, like next Wednesday, that you don't have all the financing 100% secured. But I have the confidence because I have done it before, we have paper on the way, that, you know, I, I look at a risk assessment to say, you know, what's the risk? What's the worst thing that could happen? Has that ever happened in the past? Why would it happen this time? And then let's just put our heads down and do it. And Or as I like to have said in the first 
few years of this company that I had founded, um, where it really was me making all the decisions, is that sometimes I just stare right down the barrel and I just make the decision. So it's 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 kind of those people around me may consider that I've taken risks, but I actually don't think I've really taken significant risks at any time. Okay. Um, how would you define success for yourself? Well, I think it's the work-life balance is the thing that I think I would like to ultimately be known as in terms of success. I mean, there's just, there's no question about it um, when it comes to making content and and even I sometimes surprise myself how, how, and it's mostly because I was trained in a very big corporate setting, how to put projects together and move them. So it's like, you know, I mean, I've kind of got to the stage of my career. Do I need to make another film? Do I need to make more television series? I mean, I've done that very, very successfully, I believe. Um, but getting back to that, how successful, successful thought process, um, you know, for me, if I can, raise my children well, have that decent, you want me to wait till they go? No. Have that decent work-life balance. I think that is very, very important. And that will be the true success to me is to see what happens in my family, not only my daughters, but my stepsons, where do they end up? How do they, you know, look at their careers and their families and balance their life? And and that's what I think I will be able to, to assess about whether I was successful in being a good role model for your own family. So the most successful businesses in Canada are family businesses. <laughs> yes. So. yes. Yes. Do you think things have gotten better or worse for women in the last ten years? In the last 10 years, I think there's been a surprising amount of surprises that there's obstacles that many of us felt just by evolution would have had have been changed. But I think if we look at some other, um, you know, human rights issues and we look at things like uh, gender equality and we look at things like you know lgbtq rights we look at race equality i think all of us have been floored just time and time again and in just you know i, I used again the example of my mother you know fighting for women's lib and all this stuff and i'm absolutely sure with her with her three daughters that she felt she achieved something that was not going to be clawed back. And I think that that's the hard part, you know, not just domestically in Canada, but globally and in many across many different cultures is you can be, you know, one step forward and two steps back. And that's the surprising thing to me is when we achieve something, not only do we not can we not rest on our laurels, so we have to defend the position, you know, get the two steps forward and then hands on hips and then try, you know, that and that's I think, you know, out with younger uh, women in the company that work with me as well as my daughters, I do share that with them. And that's why do I think it's been better or worse over 10 years. I think ultimately it's a pendulum that swings and at times it is better 
And then there's just times that surprisingly, it just goes back to being worse. And whether we can change that from a base of humanity, which everybody's fighting for now um, because of the political atmosphere, um, you know, I would I would like to think that hopefully the enlightenment that our children are being being exposed to now will you know continue to help them as the generations move forward, for sure. At a corporate level and a board level, I would say there's still not enough representation of women in those seats, and so therefore, I don't really think there has been any significant change. I would agree. Um, how about on raising capital for a female-led organization, right? Do you think your gender has played a part in that? I think that that has been a very challenging thing. Um, I would absolutely say yes. I would absolutely say yes that um, when it comes to the business side of things, I am dumbfounded by some you know male successful business people who have raised money in the past but then have done some awful awful investments and lost millions of dollars and yet they still seem to be ahead of somebody who has just put their head down and solidly built a business and that time and time again having to you know sort of repeat and justify and it's it's i have not come up with a solution so i can't sort of share any kind of anecdote or 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 tips on what to do um, because i'm still very much working through it i think you know through lots of discussions that i have had that i am going to again you know stare down the barrel and just be feisty enough and be clear enough and be courageous enough to continue to say there is absolutely no reason why I should be looked upon as a riskier investment than other people just because I happen to walk in, um, you know, with a skirt on. I think that's just absolutely outrageous. So, so you should have success in spite of it. <laughs> exactly. If there are two key insights you could tell your younger self, what would they be? Probably don't dress, to dress better in my 20s than I did. I think I tried to dress a little cool for corporate life. Um, no, I'm being flip. What would I tell my younger self? I think it goes back to don't rest on your laurels. Don't get comfortable and think that, you know, it's going to be an easier ride. Um, that just be prepared to be able to defend your position at all times. Um, yeah, I think I would only have the one thing. I can't think of another, you know, I, I, I was, I'm actually really quite proud of my journey and the decision making that I did all the way from my younger. I think I was you know, from the time I was 13, I was always, I always said I was 40 when people asked me how old I was. And I think that that's just so, ter in terms of having a younger self, I don't think that there's anything that, you know, in terms of the decisions that I made. Um, and I didn't have a lot of insecurity about 
that. I mean, lots of times I tried to potentially race a bit too fast towards, um, you know, towards a goal that now I kind of go, oh, well, maybe just because I did a whole proposal on this and a business plan when I was like 23 and it was rejected that I was like, mm, meh, but it's like, that's fine. But yes, yeah, so I think, I think actually, um, you know, because I've, I've, I've always, I've been the older sister my whole life and I've just, I've been able to, you know, kind of lead myself well, I think has been a really good thing. Is there any insights you'd like to leave your daughter on as they journey their own careers? I think being an individual is very, very important. And I think that that's what I really strive for with, with my family is to make sure that, you know, you protect what's in you that is real and that you own. And that actually goes to a part of, you know, how the company, uh, the company, uh, my company is called Brain Power because I truly believe that everything that you learn is inside you and yours. And you need to be confident that no one can take away that away from you. So that's really, I do try and, and instill that in, um, in the girls to know that that is, that's our really strongest first defense is that we actually have an ability to absorb, learn, and to own, you know, that, that knowledge and, and not let anybody take that away from you because that is, you know, as we rise and as we get pushed down, that's the hard thing. That's what makes us stand up and go back fighting is that we know ultimately when I have been in situations and at some point when I was very senior, in a company, somebody said, well, you know, you can just be replaced. And I very quickly said, no, I actually can't be replaced because there's nobody that has the skill set that I have. So, so I think that that's an important thing. Awesome. Is there anything else you'd like to say to anybody who wanted to start their own company or be an entrepreneur? I do think that working at other people's company and there's that adage of learn watching other people make mistakes is very important. And I think that all the will and the want and to sort of go straight into entrepreneurship, if, if you have that burning desire, I wouldn't take it away. But I think, you know, a great strength that I have is that I've had good bosses and I've had bad bosses and I've had, you know, low end positions and I've had high positions. And that makes me, as an entrepreneur, I'll say that you know, I've had a couple of people comment surprisingly, wow, you have been very successful. And I said, well, it's not really a trick. You know, I did <laughs> actually run a huge division, you know, that was between 25 and $30 million business. And I ran it for about six or seven years, pretty much solely making my own decisions. But ultimately I wasn't in charge of paying everyone and all of the infrastructure and everything. And I think, I think it's, I, I've seen a couple of people now come from either a little bit younger place or maybe from a corporate place that's a bit junior down and you know I could do better and I can start my own and and I think it's just it's even I from a very senior position felt it was extremely hard um, to build a business 
from scratch, you know, and and you know without the proper, but you know, anyways, it's it's. I think it's to learn on other people's dimes is a very very good thing to do and a very good adage to think about. And and again, pack your brain with all those things because when you are an entrepreneur wanting to grow your own grow your own company, you will absolutely need to be able to wear the weight of the crown so awesome thank you so much Beth for your time awesome hello listeners so my chat with Beth actually was so insightful and incredibly humbling as well so Beth's success in spite of the many challenges along the journey and her insights were really about her confidence and assuredly and assertity that has made her successful. Assertity basically meaning her um, confidence in herself and being so sure that she was making the right decision. I found it interesting that raising capital, she still felt very strongly that being female had a huge impact on her ability to raise capital from traditional institutions, as well as just walking into the meetings where she may be the only female at the table. Her insights for her daughter of being an individual and learning on other people's dimes. So really having the opportunity to learn your craft through other large organizations because she felt it was incredibly hard to build a business from scratch. I will second that. It is incredibly hard and you definitely reach junctures of needing capital in order to grow. And how you actually get that capital is very, very challenging. I also felt that she said, you know, it was incredibly humbling and frustrating was that for every inch forward we make as women in the workplace, you know, we have to hold the line and guard the line and very easily and very quickly we can move two steps back as the traditional and current political climate would say. Very frustrating that the pendulum continues to swing and again, I hope that that's not the case for my daughter. I hope we actually move forward and can hold the line. And little things like finally women in Saudi Arabia are able to drive, right? It gives you hope. And then we have such pendulum swings like who's currently in office in the U.S. as an example. So her advice of not resting on our laurels and having to defend your position along the journey at all times and also being proud of being an individual. I thought that was an excellent insight for her daughters and for mine. And really that as you learn and fill your brain with all this intellect, it's yours and only yours, and not to shy away from that knowledge and to embrace it and be proud of everything that you've done, you know, mistakes as well as successes. So I thought that was an excellent session. For those of you that want to branch out on your own and be an entrepreneur, it is definitely a journey less traveled, but well worth the reward. So thanks again. You can find us on our website at womenworkwisdom.com, W-O-M-E-N, on Google Play and iTunes. And I look forward to your comments and hearing any of your insights on either being an entrepreneur or who you want to hear from who we should interview. Um, Coming up, we have some awesome other interviews, including Sandy Bratz, who is a yoga studio owner and former reporter 
uh, digital reporter for fitness magazines, and so many more. So thanks again, and I look forward to your feedback. Cheers.